Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Torah portion, Saab, which is uh, Leviticus uh, 6, my verse 1, thank you, verses 8, uh, through chapter 8. So there's a lot of stuff in there. Uh, obviously, a lot of offerings and details with those offerings. We'll get into a few of those details uh, before we cover a few th- elements of Passover uh, we're discussing as well uh, today, because Passover, of course, is tonight. So we're going to my spiel or my topic, what I want to talk about or what we, what we bring up to, to today. Are there any comments or questions regarding this Torah portion or uh, that you may have uh, curious about about what it has to say? We can cover them now because I yeah. get them. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, this is Pamela. Um, I think this is important for us because when Messiah comes, he's going to re- reinstitute the temple. And so as a performing high priest and doing these duties, the believer may want to understand what's happening. That's an interesting and point. So we yeah. should study this. Right. So there's an interesting point you bring up. So uh, in, in, in our, in our, uh, our New Testament or apostolic study, the, the, the authors of the New Testament, as far as they're, what they wrote about, uh, you will note that, we, we note at least, people have noted, that they focus heavily upon certain offerings that are taken care of from Messiah's death, in particular sin offerings. But you will also note that they also continue to participate in temple service, even after Messiah died for offerings, not for necessarily for sins, but for, for many of these offerings listed here. Uh, not necessarily sin offerings, but they have uh, the Shalomim offerings in particular are, are intended or will most likely be continued on because human beings still exist and we will still be offering up offerings to our God. And the Shalomim offerings are, are celebration types based offerings. And so, and they are, of course, as the Shalomim offering is listed here, have one of the most stringent rules given to it uh, versus other offerings are, surprisingly enough, a little bit more relaxed. The Shalomim offering has a lot of rules which you can and cannot do, participate in them and who can and cannot eat them or touch them. Uh, so these offerings that Messiah will do as well when he's around for other, you can argue symbolically or physically, I argue most likely it's both, um, that they will be uh, done that way. So it's important to understand what they are. And on top of that, separate from that, as our New Testament offerers also tell us, we're supposed to be part or participants of a kingdom of priests. Uh, so the priests have to know what on earth they're doing. Uh, what is your task and how to do your job? Uh, so if you ever want to know what your job description is, a kingdom of priests, you want to pay attention to it. I suggest we, we also just read the job descriptions, understand the basics of what we're expected and not be shocked about it. You want me to do what? None of that stuff. <laughs> Don't let God say, uh, you, you've been reading this for how many years and you still didn't understand it? <laughs> well, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Some of us are slow learners, but uh, no, the idea is that you re- pay attention to your job description. Uh, that's an important concept, what we're doing here. We're, we're essentially are agreeing to this hired position, which is a permanent position. Uh, and that's, that's what we're after. Uh, so yeah, so is that what our high priest does, uh, as well as what his sons had to do, those who were serving, serving with him, 
and how to take care of and serve the people in this capacity. Uh, so it's important to know. So yes, I agree with you, Pamela, that it is important to know what our Messiah does and will be doing and, uh, and how we are to respond to now as well as, of course, in our future jobs as he comes about. Any other comments or questions regarding this Torah portion? We have a few minutes dedicated to this before we, we move on to other topics. So um, as you will note, Jeff covered this last time, the first part of, of Leviticus, the first five, six chapters, essentially, five and a half chapters. Um, it discusses the nature of a lot of these different offerings, the Ola offering, which is the one that's burnt up completely. You don't get to you know, consume any of it. It's not eaten. It's all burned up. With the exception of the high. The high is not burned up. You, the, the high priest gets to keep that if it's uh, that type of offering. It's like a, I wouldn't do that for feathers. Not for birds. I don't think it's keep the feathers. Maybe it would. Maybe a pillow or something. I don't know. Anyway, the point is the rest of the <laughs> he likes pillows. Uh, the rest of the high is, is the only thing that's usually saved out of a bird, out, out of a out of an ola offering. Um, it could be feathers. I don't know. They, they stink when they burn. It, maybe maybe he does keep the feathers. Anyway, um, anyways, that, that's so the other offerings are given. Sin offering, the 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 the, the, the asham or the penalty offering, uh, as well as of course the shalomim offering, which is has a lot of discussions about shalomim offering. Most of this stuff, as you will note, is 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 covering the same offerings Jeff had read about last week, but it's covering the offerings from the perspective of the high priest. Like, okay, here's what people were doing the first five chapters because okay, this people, citizens, you and I, here's what you have to do. Okay, here's the offerings, what they're all doing, what they're how how you present them, that kind of thing. Yada yada yada. Now go into okay, priest, when you receive them, this is how you handle each one of them. You have to kill it at this location, not anywhere. You have to eat in this particular place using this garment. And that, so it's more of a priest, a, a very narrow focus priest. This is your instruction manual when you receive these offerings. Now, this is obviously not complete. There's obviously some of the stuff that cover was covered in chapter five uh, for the priests as well, but this is more narrowly focused to the priests themselves in this section. So, same offerings, they just narrowed to the priests specifically when you receive them. This is how you handle them. So, Leviticus uh, chapter six. Every single morning, priest, your task number one. You have you have job to do. Your job number one is clean up the ashes from last night. So, as you as we've we've covered, I think already, we'll cover it again later on. There is an offering done twice a day, one each morning, one each afternoon, and then one in the afternoon because the fire is never allowed to go out. It's going to so this is done day and night, seven days a week. Uh, 365 days a year, nonstop going. It, it always goes on, even on Shabbat. Same thing goes every, there's no exceptions. So every morning they offer an animal up and of course they have to kindle the fire, of course. But to get there, they have to take the ashes from the night before. So now God's smart about this. Those who ever cleaned out a fireplace, guess what happens? The ashes, it gets on everything. On your skin, your clothing, the whole works. He says, stop, before you touch those ashes, change your clothes. Get the dirty work clothes on. <laughs> this is the linen stuff. Get that stuff on. Clean the ashes out. When the ashes are in a container next to the altar, you got it all cleaned out. Change your clothes. Wash them a bit. Now with a new clean set, take the ashes out to the camp and dump it in the clean place in the, in the holy ash pit. Uh, yes, there's a holy ash pit and the unholy ash pit. Uh, there's two of them. So the holy place where only the temple ash get dumped that's where it goes. Meanwhile, once you cleaned out this stuff, when you're taking off and dumped that on, another priest, or maybe you when you come back, have to put a new batch of wood in, on, the, on the fire. Now, the fire has probably burned out to just coals by then. 
But the point is you have to kindle the flame up, fire it up to ashes, fire again every day of the week. This is seven days a week, three, six, five days a year, nonstop. So anyway, you re- add more wood to it, get the fire going, and then you offer the morning offering. So this is your routine every single day, This for day day in, day out. It doesn't change. I don't even change on Yom Kippur. It's just nonstop. I actually can't change Yom Kippur because the altar is the fire altar. Sorry, the fire on the altar. That's the animal offering is never allowed to go out. So you always have to continuously add fuel to it and add resources to it. Now, in Jewish tradition, it lasted for 116 years. So the altar fire offering, this is Jewish, Jewish tradition. I'm not saying they're right or wrong. That um, they kept this fire going through all the 116 years from Moses onward. Um, but then when they moved <laughs> to the location, apparently it went out temporarily. I'm not sure how long the out was, but it went out before they rekindled it again. Uh, during uh, where was it in Shiloh? They, they argued they rekindled it in Shiloh because it went out in Nob, and they say we, we rekindled it in Shiloh. I'm not, I'm not sure when, and they, they could debate when that is, and that's just Jewish tradition, so you can't prove a single shred of it. But it's just a tradition. Either way, it lasts a long time. Obviously, as you all know, and I know, it's out now. Okay, so whether or not it was whenever it went out in the past, I don't really can't say. It probably went out when the kings came in and swept everybody and carried them off in captivity too. But uh. Because there's no one left. So it's going to go out. So it went out periodically over a year. Yes, Jeff. Uh, kind of brings to life uh, two aphorisms you hear about keeping the home fire burning and also lighting a fire under it. <laughs> Light fire under it. Exactly. So it, it's, it's, a, it, the whole, it's, it's a never ending cycle. Um, and so every year this happens. Every day this happens. And then that's, that's the normal Ola offerings, separate from these daily offerings, which happen twice a day, morning and evening. Now, this goes on. Meanwhile, you have other offerings happening too throughout the day, right? So I've got an animal going on in the morning. That's fine. The first thing I do in the morning, that's done. Now, when that's set up and going, I open the door up, so to speak, open the, the magical door, we're open for business. Um, and then the people go, okay, here's my offering for the day. So, okay, I take this offering. It goes also go, while this existing one, Ola offering is still burning. It may be halfway done because it takes a few hours. If you ever burnt meat, you can burn it quickly, but it takes a long time before it turns to ash. I mean, honest with you, it takes a long time. I, barbecues, pits, even takes a while. It takes a few hours. And it, now, now put it a big old animal. You know? <laughs> it takes even longer. So it's going to run for quite a few hours. Meanwhile, you're continually adding things to it. You're adding stuff to, to be burned up along with throughout every single day. I'm sure the, 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 clo- the, the priest's clothing stunk like barbecue smoke nonstop. And it's, that stuff just, just gets your nose and gets everything. Uh, yes, Tammy. Doesn't it seem a little dangerous to be changing out the ashes of a fire that's supposed to be eternally burning? <laughs> You'd think so. <laughs> and note, he even makes a mental note when he says it. When he, uh, where is it? Uh, to make a note here, uh, when you take the ashes out, make sure it doesn't go out. <laughs> so even the process of cleaning the ashes out, he said, by the way, uh, make sure you don't accidentally, you know, you know, take too many coals out and make, 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 it, make it burn or make it go out. So yeah, it, it does seem inherently dangerous. I don't know. I've never burned linen. Maybe linen doesn't burn as well. I would think, I know wool doesn't burn well, but if you have a linen outfit, you got like a hot coal on there. Well, it's pretty thin. It probably would burn. Uh, yes, Jeff. Well, you know, as, as you mentioned, the principle of grill management, when you think of like, if you run a restaurant, uh, being able to manage a grill is actually quite, quite a task to be able to keep many things going at one time and to stage when things come in and go off. Now, I guess that's also a point of 
illustrating that God can handle more than one thing at right. once. You know, if you <laughs> you come to a think, oh, this is just too small. Well, you think of the offerings that come in that may be too small compared to the Ola or the or the Tamid offerings that are on there already. But you you know, you're thinking, well, no, God can handle your case too. God can multitask. Yes. And women can do an okay job of multitasking. <laughs> Men cannot multitask. How does this even work? Well, there's more than one Cohen going on. <laughs> I got my job to yours. Yeah. So, but none it, of the women are allowed to be. Women are not allowed to be. No, Cohen. not allowed to be Cohen. No, nope. nope. So they have to learn from their wives. The wives are organize it for them. Okay. <laughs> here's your, here's your roster for the week. Uh, now, it's important thing to note that Jeff brings a, a legitimate point. That think about that is that how many offerings does God receive every day throughout the globe? These are praise offerings, these are prayer requests, everything else. How does he receive every single day, every hour of every day? And which ones does he say, oh, crud, I missed that one. Well, does he miss them? Well, no. So there's no offering. He, that, that, so it, it, is, it is important to note that his multitasking is very elaborate. But this is because these, if I've got, in the case of high priests or, or the priest's sons, you may have a couple hundred, maybe even a thousand more offerings in a given day, a holy day, some major thing happened or some huge event. Okay, that's a big thing. And here's a lot of animals to process or parts of animals to process. It's a, it's a factory line, a, a practice going through. And God, the another problem. He continuously brings in, he continues to process them, every one of them. So it's an important thing to do. Um, and of course, as uh, the, the, the uh, Hebrews points out to us, our Messiah has to have something to offer God twice a day, no matter what. Yes, yeah, true. God, he has. That's right. God, God has more time because we have a we we have a we have to sleep at night. We have eight hours of sleep time, <laughs> or supposed to only get six. But that's we're supposed to have eight hours of sleep time. He doesn't have that problem. So I guess he has a longer day than we do in some ways in that respect. <clears throat> His days ever end. So anyway, the point is, he, he, it, the idea is to continuously process nonstop. So a few things I'm bringing up to you before we move on to Passover stuff. We'll, I'll, I'm going to hit this like next 15 minutes or so, and then we'll move, move past because I want to make this rather quick today. Um, in the case of various offerings, in particular meal offerings, uh, you will note that there are distinctions. So unlike a priest, you and I, if we offer a meal offering, guess what? Ours has to have frankincense mixed with it. Priest offerings don't get frankincense, so it doesn't have the nice smell oil or something oil would go with it. So, in the case of Israel, this is a non-priest meal offerings because meal offerings for priests aren't eaten; they're they're all burned up. But anyway, so an ordinary Israelite or anybody else who's a native, not a native born wishes to uh, uh, sign on to or be attached themselves to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all their meal offerings they give up. Uh, they must include frankincense and oil, unless, of course, the sin offering then it has no oil at all. But uh, otherwise, frankincense must be brought to it. Or it can't have frankincense either if it's a sin offering. But if it's a, if it's a regular gift uh, gift offering, as far as a meal offering that's not based for sin, frankincense is required to have on it. And the frankincense is burned up along with some of the oil, and of course, a, a three finger handful, maybe a half a cup or so, uh, gets thrown into the bur- the altar burn. The priest eats the rest of it. There's a few details I'll bring out to you. Um, unlike some offerings, uh, in the case of the meal offering and the sin offering, that both have had the same rule. I don't recall. Does the Asham offering have that? I don't think so. Mm. Oh, I'll tell you that. Yes, Asham offering is the same way. So these three offerings 
cannot be made common. So for example, um, if I have an offering, certain, certain offerings a priest can eat and some offerings his family can eat, even his, 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 his wife or his daughters. And they could offer him, for example, the, the loaves of bread that are offered uh, every, every, every week. Those are eaten by the priests, but also priests, families allowed to eat them too. Uh, but that's how it's, how it's designed the way. But these three offerings cannot be made common. So if Which I three? have a loaf of bread that is, it is edible for anybody to eat. Which it's, three? It's a, oh, sorry. Three. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, mincha offering, the grain offerings, the sin offerings, the chata offerings, and the asham offerings. So all three of those. Not the shalamim, but these three offerings. So the mincha, the grain, the sin offering, the chata, or the penalty, the asham offerings. These three offerings, the same rule that you can't make common. So you can't say, okay, I have, for example, I'm just imagining a hypothetical scenario. I have the sin offering here in hand number one, (laughs) that's from, you know, Joe Shmuley number two over there. And then I have um, uh, my sandwich that I made earlier for me this morning. If if, If these two items touch each other, the sandwich is now holy. It doesn't make the sin offering or the asham offering or the, the, the mincha offering, the rain offering, common. Meaning, if right now my sandwich I made for breakfast this morning or my lunch this morning, I could pass it off to my daughter if I wanted to because she was hungry because I made it. It's mine. And I, 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 I created it. It's not an offering. But in the case of these two offerings, if I touch them, my daughter can no longer eat my sandwich. It's now a holy ob- object. And, and it doesn't make the, the, the offering that was given to me, the mincha, the sin, or the chata, or the asham, that doesn't become common like my sandwich was once common. So those offerings are done that particular way. They can't be made common. Now, we're not discussing, oh, I took a piece of pork meat and threw it on top. We're discussing normal food, not non-food items. <laughs> normal food items. We're not discussing the, 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 the contaminated that should all be burned away and thrown out. That, that's a different problem. Uh, we're discussing normal food items. So you can't make them common for others to consume them. And they must be obviously consumed with inside the tabernacle in a holy place. So only certain people who are clean are even allowed in the tabernacle. So as Tammy pointed out, she can't become a priest because she's a female. On top of that, if she was in any kind of uh, a ritual contamination, such as a monthly cycle going on, or recently gave birth to some child, uh, she wouldn't be allowed in the tabernacle anyway. So you can, and it has, to be, it has to stay inside to be eaten, those three, those three offerings. So these offerings have this rule about them, and they can't be altered in that way. We're not discussing you know, the, the exception of like, oh, look, a bird flew by and pooped on it. That's not food anymore. But we're discussing the, the normal food contaminant items. Um, there's other, a few details also brought off to you on these offerings. Uh, before we go to Shalomim, so Shalomim will cover a little bit about that. It's important to note. Uh, in the case of the altar of God, in the case of all these animal offerings, under no circumstances is a leavened object to be allowed to be offered on it. So unleavened grain-only products, you cannot offer a leavened object on the altar. Uh, it's important to note that God has this isolated out, separated out. We have obviously going into days of unleavened bread, which we're going into. Uh, leavened bread is not an offering given to God. Now, don't confuse this. With, with, with thanking God, a shalomim offering, because that could be leavened, but that doesn't go on the altar. You don't burn any of that. No leavened bread can be burned or offered to God on the altar. And this also, God extended that rule when it comes to, 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 to grain offerings. When you bring a mincha offering and a part of it's burned on the altar, 
the priest who gets to eat the rest of it, he's not allowed to make it leavened. So you can't just take the flour. It's like, great, I put my three fingers in there, your frankincense, uh, some of the oil, and now I'm going to make a, a, a nice big French, lo- French bread loaf out of this. He can't do that. Uh, he has to remain unleavened. So in a manner of speaking, the priest in his, in his act of eating the, 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 the grain, the mincha offering is unleavened, it's symbolically, as Judaism argues, I think as Rashi claimed this, I'm not saying he's right, it's just he claimed, that the priest is symbolically representative of the altar itself when he's consuming these items. Now, Rashi brought up that philosophy because in the inauguration offering covered in this chapter, or next, chapter 8, um, that, the, that the breast peace offering, when they inaugurated Aaron and his sons, went to Moses as his consuming part. And the thigh from the offering had to be burned to the altar. But then once Aaron's sons are inaugurated, they receive the breastplate as well as the right thigh. They get both pieces to consume. So it's a, he, he argued, well, because they took the right thigh, they used to burn the altar for the inauguration and no one got to eat it. Now the right thigh, we call it like a, the leg, a leg of an animal, the right hind leg or right, the right hind legs, like a, a, yeah, a leg. Um, that's given to Aaron and his sons to eat. So he, so he argues, well, because it was a burned odd object before, and now these high priests are no longer burned object, he likened that the altar and the high priest must be somehow connected symbolically. And he also pointed out because of that, and as well as this one, that the altar, you could have le- unleavened bread burned on it. And of course, you can, the high priest consumes or eats some of the unleavened bread, but uh, he cannot put leavened bread on it for any reason. And the high priest obviously cannot leaven the bread that he just received. So he argues that's probably true. And honestly, I can't say he's wrong uh, because there is no evidence to indicate otherwise. So symbolically, the altar may in fact be a type of priest or symbolically a priest type of altar in that capacity. So these are the details I want to bring up to you. So we're going in the days of unleavened bread in a stretch, <laughs> a very long stretch. Um, since we are supposed to be a kingdom of priests, you could argue, well, in the symbolically speaking, since we're, we are commanded to consume unleavened bread, not just give it a leavening, but actually commanded to consume unleavened, the process, uh, that you could argue this is also a type of, a, of an offering to God uh, in, in this, in, in, in this uh, unleavened time period for unleavened bread for the next week, and that we are a type of altar in that capacity. I'm not saying we are, I'm just saying that's kind of a, a symbolically throwing around symbols for the fun of it. Uh, let's see your other details about that. Uh, most of these are not terribly important. Uh, let's see here. Different parts of the animal you can't eat, yada, 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 uh, washing stuff. Okay. Oh, uh, detail. <clears throat> Any uh, on the sin offering, I hit this before I go to Shalomim. I've been attending on Shalomim. Once I want to give this, this one detail. There are a few cautions to pay attention to uh, on, on various offerings that the priest and our, our high priest or Messiah has to pay attention to. Any blood that gets on clothing uh, that is not meant to, for example, the sin offering, if it gets on your clothes, it's not supposed to. Now, I have personally have only killed a turkey once. It was bloody, but I get blood on me. But that was easy. And besides, I had an apron. (laughs) It wasn't so bad. But those of us who don't, and if you have to kill, let's say, for example, a cow, (laughs) There's more blood in a cow. There is a turkey. <laughs> a lot more. It gets everywhere. Um, so the case of sin offerings, blood is not supposed to get on the clothing. 
it wasn't intended to be. So you actually have to try to catch it. They catch it in the basin, which is, I, I don't, I'm not going to even pretend to know how they do that. I saw a cow slaughtered once on a, a YouTube video. It was like, wow, that's so much blood on there. I couldn't imagine trying to catch anything. I have like, you know, one of those kiddie pools. <laughs> the blow up kiddie pools. Maybe you can catch it that way, but I don't know how else you do it. The world's biggest basin. Anyway, uh, it's huge. There's a lot of blood coming out of it. But anyhow, so uh, there's a lot coming through. But if it gets on your clothing, you have to wash your clothes in the holy laundry laundry place. <laughs> so just like they have a holy ash pit, different from the regular ash pit, they have a holy laundry station, different from the regular laundry station. Uh, it's not supposed to get on your clothing. Uh, it's supposed to not be anybody getting clothing must be washed separately from other common clothing. It's a, a little bit, a holy washing station. Um, anyway, also the, the pottery. So earthenware is obviously broken. If it's cooked in earthenware, prepare to that in a metal pot, it has to be purged. Purge means heated up to a blistering hot temperature to where nothing is left of it that can survive. And then you wash it. That's what purging metal pot means. When you're ever curious about that, uh, with it's a purge, clean uh, metal, garments from pagan people they have to burn it really hot before they're allowed to use it again um i hope you have a question about those because i want to go to shalimim offering for the next 10 well five minutes or so uh because they're important to note because these are the ones that will affect you and i more so than others and i'll say those aren't important they affect us too but shalimim offering is what you and i do on a regular basis uh in the form of uh, thanksgiving offerings to god or dedicated things to god so this is Shalimim offering. This is one of the more common offerings offered. So you and I would experience this and the apostles, all the disciples experienced the same thing. This is what they did on a regular basis. Even after Messiah died, those 20 or 30 years where it was, they were going through wandering about, actually in some cases 50 or 60 years, wandering about this separate offering, which they still did regularly in the temple service before it was, before it was uh, uh, taken down by the Romans and the Assyrians. So this is pretty, pretty regularly done even after Messiah died because these offerings are independent of sin. These are independent of transgression. These are independent of not being fit enough in God's eyes because I'm a sinner. These are not related to those. These offerings are, thank you, God, it is a holy day. Thank you, God, for taking care of me. Thank you, God, for being there for me and always taking care of my needs and my, my you, for example, uh, uh, my daughter was sick and she got better. Thank you, God. That's what these offerings are for. That's what these, these come, come along the way. That's where all these fall into. They all fall into the vows, like saying, all right, God, if you make my daughter better, I will do this for you. And hence, these are also these vows as well. Um, and also free will gifts as well. So these are all the Shalomim offerings, the most common ones done. For those of us who would be believers in Messiah, these would fall under our, on our plate, so to speak. No, no pun intended. Because you get to eat these, some of them. Okay, uh, deal number one, peace offering. It can be broken up into three categories. Shalimim offers are three categories. Category number one is a thanks, a toda. Thank you, God, for just for being for doing some great thing for me, whatever it was. That's category number one, which these, these Shalimim offerings may, may fall into. Uh, they may or may not correlate, correlate to a holy day. That's a different. That's usually not, but they, that, that's your business if you offer it. So a thank you offering, a thank you God offering, the Shemim offering, that's category number one, the Toda. That's category number two, a vow. I made an agreement. God, if you do X, Y, Z for me, I will do this for you. That's a vow. Uh, that's a separate, separate an Adar. That's also Shemim offering. And third one, of course, is I dedicated something to God. So for example, 
some of you have heard this heard this or have have known people said i am dedicating this house to god you know, have done that i bought a house i did this or or uh, i bought or i have a barn or i'm building a barn for one of my animals i am dedicating this to god. those are dedicated offerings and you dedicate to god because you're praising or thank him for for allowing you to do these things or have them whatever it is those are also uh nadaba uh, which is a a a a a delight a selected or a dedicated thing to god for that for that offering so in the case of the korban offering for example the drawing closer uh, these would be part of those dedicated items these are dedicated to, to god these where they fall into those are three primary categories and these are the most dangerous categories to be in because you can screw up more you can't anybody else uh, category number one with the tada that I'm giving it. Thank you, God. I'm just thanking you for some great thing you did for me that I, didn't, I, I asked, whatever. But you did some great thing, like for example, the citation I gave you earlier. My daughter was sick, and now she's miraculously better. Uh, she's going to live. Yada yada. I thank you, God. These these fall into. So in this category, um, if I offer an unleavened shalomim offering, uh, so I offer some meal offering. Um, it has to have oil and it must be cooked, of course. Um, if it is leavened offering, it has to also accompany an animal. So an unleavened bread offering, unleavened Thanksgiving offering, can say that be to be sufficient. If I have a loaf that I've made or is made from it and it's given to you, it has to also accompany an animal that goes with it. Now, again, I mentioned before, Shalomim offerings are not offered on the altar. They are eaten normally. So in this case, the Tadah has to be eaten this way. But this big restriction on this one is you have one day to eat it. The day it's offered must be the day it's eaten. So the, 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 the one that's a thank you, God, must be consumed that day. What does that tell us about our thanks to God? When we say thank you, God, for this great thing to us, what does it tell us? What's he treated as? That's your thanks for that day not for tomorrow this is for today you're thanking me that's great it expires today so tomorrow do something else <laughs> got that it's not a, a long lasting oh i thank god last week we're all on good page we have good understanding i thanked him three years ago for this great thing it doesn't work that way a thanks offering is a thank you short sweet to the point move on next task We'll do another offering later. So Shalom offering, thanks offerings are single day events. They are one time. There are moments in time. That there's not to be moments in time. I, he may do one miracle, one point in time, one great thing for my family. But it's something great the next day or the next week or next year. Those are two separate events, two separate thank yous you owe to God, so to speak. It's like writing a thank you note. You're going to thank, if somebody gives you two or three gifts, guess what? A thank you note must cite all three gifts. So you made it back to them and say, thank you for these three gifts. What are there? They are a thank you note, so to speak, as far as what God did for you. Proper manners, right? <clears throat> Anyhow, so uh, it does not, the offering does not go on the altar for any reason. And it is not even presented in front of the altar for any reason. So the priest gets it. He doesn't even go to the altar and say, yeah, a wave service, thanks God, in front of the altar. He can't even do that. He must bring it completely separate from the altar and must eat in that day. If it's leavened, of course, the animal has to come with it. An animal offering must come with a leavened bread, which correlates to Shavuot, which happens in May this year on Monday. It's a, it's a, it's a two-raised, puffed-up loaf of bread offered on Shavuot, and it must be accompanied by an animal offering, as is the command for Shalomim offerings that are leavened. 
The next offering is the vow category, which you made a promise or you made some kind of agreement. Um, the vow offerings as well as the dedicated offerings have the same rules for them in the form of one. They are eaten for two days, not one. Instead of one, with the Thanksgiving offering, these these vows and the, the dedicated things you give to God are a two-day feast which you get to eat. They're eaten for two days, uh, but they cannot be eaten at any point of it on the third day. If it is on the third day, both the person who offered it and the person who ate it are rejected. You're now pigouls. You're a pigoul. I thought it was funny. I laughed with my wife this morning. Pigoul. It's, English, it's a Hebrew word, pigoul. It's a lot like pig. <laughs> Anyway, you're rejected. Pagul, you are rejected. So you don't get to break these rules. Uh, so if, it, if, if, for example, the tada, the, the, the one night offering, if you ate on day number two, two you are rejected. You're a pagul. Uh, you as well, you're offering. It actually says you are pagul. So the person gets labeled pagul. Um, and then, of course, obviously, everybody else says, oh, Sean, your hand is raised. What's your comment, sir? Yeah, so... Um a few moments ago, you talked about, Lord, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. Yeah, those are the vows, right. I, that doesn't fall under, you should not tempt the Lord your God or test. Oh, to- it totally does. <laughs> you have to be careful. Yeah. <laughs> be careful with that. Because mind you, if you recall, maybe you do recall, maybe you don't, most of us remember this because it's such a remarkable event. Um, uh, Yephtha. Now, Yephtha was a famous uh, 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 soldier slash you know, highwayman slash marauder. Uh, in Israel's history, and uh, he was rejected. He, he lived in uh, the on the uh, the east bank of the Jordan River. He was rejected by the rest of his fellow Israelites because he was from the wife of a he's a, the son, sorry, of a concubine of their father Gilead. He had a lot of sons, and he you know anyway, it doesn't matter. We, we know how concubines are. So he had a concubine. The, the, the other sons didn't want Yefta to inherit their property. Because uh, he wasn't from the same mom. Like, get rid of this guy. So they drove him out. So he became a marauder and a and highwayman, a, basically a, a rogue overall. And that's the kind of person he was. But then a, a bad guy came who's from, I think it was Ammon, the king of Ammon. I think it was Ammon or Moab. I think it was Ammon. Uh, came and said, hey, uh, I, I want your territory because you guys took it from us. And they say, uh, wait a minute. Uh, this king is stronger than we are. We aren't very good at this. We're not very good fighters. But we know somebody who is. Hey, Yefta, come here. <laughs> you're a rogue and, 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 and a vagabond every imaginable way. And you're, you're a murderer and a killer and a thief. You'd be a perfect choice for this one. Come help us out. And so Yefta comes. Okay, I'll do this. But uh, I'm allowed to come home then. I'm not going to stay out here out in the woods, you know, marauding and thieving to make my living. I had to come home. They said, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. Just, just get rid of this, this king. So, of course, you have to does this. Some letters go back and forth and some arguments back and forth. Eventually, he goes off to war and fights him and, and he comes home. But you have to make some vow in his coming home, the famous vow. He said, God, if you deliver this king into my hand, I'm successful in pushing rid of these guys. So, if you do this, you help me out in this task, I will offer the first thing that comes out of my home to greet me when I come home. He, of course, thinking some animal. I can't show why would they get an animal. Maybe a dog. I don't know. But Because anyway, you know, dogs like masters. But he hasn't been home in years. So he hasn't even seen his family. He's not allowed to be there. So he's like, hey, I get to finally go home. And so he's great. God delivers these bad guys in his hands. Yada, yada, yada. He goes, oh, great. Yay, yay, yay. He runs home. Hey, everybody, I made it. Where our life is good. And the first question comes out seeing is his daughter. 
the first one he meets is his daughter comes out and says uh hey yay dad and he's like oh no heart drops what on earth did i just do you see that's vow <laughs> what god do well watch what you say <laughs> there's some problems here you made an agreement uh watch your mouth so yeah vows are a big thing and he doesn't uh take them lightly so uh yeah your comment sean is absolutely correct it's not like tempting god yes and guess what god did with the f that tempted him so watch what you say here you go well but it goes against the commandment that thou should not kill right so, so would that override the vow and that's where judgments come in so as you will note that there is laws and sometimes someone gets themselves in a scenario which they are each way each solution breaks a law either i break a law on this side or break a law on that side and that's where we have kings that come along later on king david and Solomon, famous for their decision-making ability say okay you have these two scenarios both are wrong both result in bad endings which one do you choose hence you have discernment we help we also call that judgment uh we have to decide okay no matter what i do one of them is going to be the end badly so as a judge as we're supposed to understand the judging where our own lives like what is what is right what is right to discern what's good and what is bad we have to make a decision all right i have to choose which is right and which is wrong even though both are wrong which is more right which is more wrong and make those decision making so your question is a valid question and so we can debate whether or not yefta made the right choice i can't claim that is your better your, your opinion but uh and we debate also not quite clear on did she actually get killed is a little curious what happened but whatever it did something happened to her that uh ended her story we're not sure whether she was you know banished i don't know i'm not sure how the process worked the way it is written it appears that he had her executed but uh we're not quite clear some people don't like that because it breaks our sensibilities I, you know what people are people there's a lot of things that break our sensibilities <laughs> just look at history it's full of them uh anyway uh, pamela your hand was up go ahead and unmute yourself so we can hear you okay all right um i've heard this story again uh, i mean before about jasus mm-hmm. and uh the issue about what about the daughter mm-hmm. and one point of view is that uh she never married she was uh therefore you know had no offspring right and uh, the i think it does say in the scriptures that the women used to go up and lament for this daughter right. um i guess they would go out and, and have like a holiday but we don't know if it was a memorial or if it was because she was going to live and die as a virgin it's that's, so, that's exactly so that that argument you're arguing there that is that is um Oh, crud, I've forgotten the Christian guy who wrote that. There was a Christian commentator who wrote that a few hundred years ago. He said, okay, this has to be this instead. So that, 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 I'm not saying that's right or wrong because no one knows. But so the theory was that, mm-hmm. well, she, she went out to wilderness to lament. I think, it's like, I think she has like, I forgot, there's like three or four months she gets to go out there and, and say how miserable, how awful, and you know, my life's terrible, that kind of thing, for a few months before she, this process gets carried out. So, in his theory, he wrote that, well, if she's lamenting, 
She's not lamenting for her life. I mean, you think that, oh no, I'm going to die. Okay, God, you know, I'm, I, this is, I'm sad I'm going to die. No, she said, she actually, she said that she's going to be a virgin. She's lamenting that she won't know a man. She'll never get married. What's well, a strange thing to lament about, doesn't it? It does seem strange. You wouldn't normally lament about that if, you, if, if, if the end result in three months is death. You're like, well, crud, I'm going to die. That's more important than the fact that we're a virgin. I don't know, <laughs> I, I, okay, I know there's some people who have different priorities. But <laughs> death versus you know, <laughs> knowing somebody. You, you think death would be more important, but some people it's the other way around. That's okay. Um, anyway, so she laments about not, not, not knowing a man. So the theory being that the, that the, uh, the Christian author came up with, I've forgotten his name, forgive me, I don't, anyways, I'm planning on this topic. Um, uh, he said that she most likely was then just dedicated to temple service the rest of her life. Um, because you couldn't kill her because it would be wrong. And so he, he argued it was most likely, unlike, for example, the males get to do the Nazarite vows, but the women are not women done Nazarite vows. But the idea, argument was, well, probably much like Samuel, for example, or uh, Samson was a Nazarite vow given to him that he, that she was probably just done that for life. And as a Nazarite vow for life, you were, you are serving the temple or the, in this case, it was a tabernacle. You're serving that until you die. And so that, that was a common, uh, common theory. And it is supported in his argument. He cited, I forgot the woman's name. She's written the new Testament when Jesus was a baby. Uh, she go, uh, he goes to the temple, I think it's for, uh, for a little, a little kid. And the woman's name, she's supposed to be a prophetess. And she says, uh, I was supposed to live. God told me I was to live long enough up until I see you. Or she never left the temple. Her name was maybe, Anna. Maybe that was, I can't remember the woman's name. Maybe that, that she dedicated her whole life. She just lived there and lived in the temple the whole time. That's all she did. She didn't go anywhere else. Oh, she probably went to the bathroom somewhere else. There's no bathrooms inside. But she probably went, went, went to the restroom somewhere else. But the point is that she lived there on a regular basis. She didn't leave. And that, that was his citation as an example. That probably what that's what Jephthah did. But I don't know. Either way, Yephthah made a vow, as Je- as as Sean pointed out, he made a vow, and is that not tempting God? Yes, it is. Vows are tempting God, but they don't have to. You don't have to tempt God with a vow. You can say, God, I'm going to dedicate the first thing that I get to you. That's a type of vow. It's more of a dedication thing, but it, it, it group the same type of shalom offering, or I'm going to do something for you, even though you didn't do anything for me yet. I'm just the view on because I love you or because I want to, not because you did something for me. So the vows don't necessarily have to be tempting some God in that way, but they can be. Because who, who, who's giving it what the details are? Um, I'm going a little over long, over long time wait, so I apologize for that. Um, these vows, uh, the vows could be either animal or grain. It doesn't make a difference which one they happen to be uh, as far as your offerings. And obviously, of course, they must be unleavened. Uh, in the case of rejection, yeah, so you become pagul if you eat past the time limit as far as the number of days offered. You are pagul or rejected. Um, uh, so, so, so unlike the first three I talked about with the mincha offering, the sin or chata offering, and the shama, the penalty offering, unlike those three that always remain holy, they can't be, be, can't be made common. The shalomit, so, so if I, like my, my citation, my, my sandwich made earlier, I made a sandwich earlier, and that, 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 that example, the same example doesn't work that way for shalomim offerings. Um, in which case, in these shalomim offerings, my sandwich must be holy. <laughs> I mean, it, it can't be common. A common thing isn't allowed to touch a shalomim offering. Unlike 
the the grain or the sin or the penalty offering the 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 the, the, the free the the, the peace keep peace offerings of either the, the tada which is the gift the thanksgiving one the vow or the 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 dedicated one nothing is allowed to come in contact with them because that makes this offering common or contaminated even though it wasn't before so uh you it, it, the, the 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 person or individual who comes in contact with them they must be clean or they must or be qualified to actually consume it um if for some reason it's not, it must be completely burned up. And unfortunately, if you were unclean and you knew it, and you came in contact with it, not only is it burned up, you're killed too, because you knew better. Uh, that's a serious, serious issue. So the 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 uh, shalim offerings are a big deal. Unclean things, unclean people cannot come in contact with it. And you cannot, you're not allowed to do that because uh, it makes it void. And so the shalom, the person offering it, as well as the person who, who, who actually did the work for it, both the, the priest and the, and the person are both rejected if it happens that way. So uh, it, if it's unclean, you're, you're pugul. If an unclean person eats it, you're pugul, you're rejected, and you are to be killed for doing so. So this offering, which is most relevant to Christians, that's one that, that we would experience on a regular basis uh, in, in Messiah's realm. It is very important to not be unclean when you're engaged or dealing with this one. Uh, a person who has been, uh, who, who, a person who was, who was clean, who became unclean, he may not for any reason eat of it. And yes, women, that includes you in your cycles. If you have a, a female in her cycle, she may not touch it or eat it if she's in her cycle or she recently gave birth. Shemim offering, even though it doesn't have to be necessarily eaten right then and there in the holy place, um, you can't come in contact with it for any reason uh, if you're unclean. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to end the details of the Shemim offerings and such because... Oh, one last thing I should mention. I forgot. Um, on the Shemim offering, uh, I, I mentioned before, the right thigh uh, is also given the pre-Shemim offerings too. The priest, that's his portion of it. Uh, it is strange. It should, it should run off a question in your head. Not that you have an answer, because I don't either. But uh, this question is that the right thigh, it is the hind thigh, the right rear part of the animal, which in modern day uh, kosher laws is classified as unclean or unkosher. Not unclean, but it's unkosher. You can't eat it. Um, and it's probably, it's possible that this is the reason, because it's supposed to go to priests, not the ordinary people. But the, and I know they have argued theories. Oh, the the the, the lot of rabbis are like, oh, because you know that's the that's where the waste is disposes comes out of all all the things that you know the unclean part of the animal. No, those aren't legitimate arguments uh, because the priest gets it. it is a holy part that belongs to him. So and and that even includes the area which the Genesis with with Jacob's encounter with Esau, with with the angels the angel of Esau about uh, the right hip socket being being dislocated, that not eaten by Israelites. Yeah, because the priest is supposed to eat that instead. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's just a, a, a rule that belongs to the priest, uh, that part of the animal, that right thigh. Now, the left side thigh, of course, isn't a problem, but the right thigh, it belongs to the priest. Uh, yeah. So just to detail, the last detail. Before I go into um, Passover stuff, there's a few cautions to throw, to throw at you. Uh, I'm sure it's because we all live in America, this really isn't a problem yet. 
but I know that it is a growing, it's growing in America. The, the process here in our, in our nation is blood consumption. You'll note in chapter 7, verse 27, blood is not to be eaten for any reason. Um, you will also note if you go to other countries, uh, blood is a primary ingredient in a lot of, a lot of foods and increasingly more so. And it is an acceptable ingredient in most countries except North America, more, more specifically America, the United States, where it is not commonly eaten as an ingredient. Um, we all you know, joke about the whole haggis pie thing from, you know, from, the, from the Scots, but reality is that's just one of many countries. So blood's a primary ingredient in a lot of foods. Uh, so when you are traveling, not that I ever travel, but somebody does, uh, if anybody ever travels, just be aware of what you eat and what the ingredients are because there does not appear to be an exemption anywhere in the tour that says, oh, well, I didn't know, therefore I get to eat blood. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> you know you don't eat it. It's not a, not a consumable item. So even though it is becoming, even actually in the United States, it is increasing in popularity for it as an ingredient, which again, I would expect it to be so, just the nature of how world and how humans work. But uh, it is still, yeah, eat things, yeah. Like, do everything you're not supposed to. <laughs> People could at that. Anyhow, so uh, blood's probably We are not to eat it for any reason. So there's not an ex- exempt section for that for that for that part of it. Uh, just be aware of it. It's just a, it's a caution to be aware of. Let's see. Here. Last thing to rattle off to you, I think. Let's see here. Yeah. So they're in the, the pre- so, okay. That, that, that's that's the, the Torah portion that we cover. If there's any questions, there's a few things I'll rattle off to you on Passover though. So any, any comments about our Torah portion before I, before I end, move on to the Passover topic for the next you know twenty minutes or so? Any comments about this? We'll move on. All right, make this quick then. So uh, Passover, uh, most of you are obviously we're facing Passover this coming uh, evening, whether it's in your own home privately or with friends or family or on the Zoom. It's your it's your choice, of course, your decision to do however whatever is most convenient for you and your family and your household. Um, there is a few, obviously, instructions that God gave us for Passover, which we'll go through just a few. These are highlights only. This is not exhaustive. Jeff gets to talk tomorrow. Have fun, sir. And he gets to talk to more about the first day of unleavened bread. He may cover a few of these topics as well, because some of these verses, they talk about Passover, and it kind of blends from Passover straight into unleavened bread too. But I'm, today, I'm not going to cover the unleavened bread topic, covering Passover specifically. So we're just going to highlight or cherry pick certain verses out of passages, discuss Passover specifically. And then uh, move on because unleavened bread is a separate topic, which we'll cover well tomorrow and, and, and next Saturday too. It's, it's kind of covered, actually mostly tomorrow. Next Saturday is more of a, a little different, but tomorrow is mostly unleavened bread and, and the topic thereof and, and how to deal with that topic. Um, in the case of Passover though, so Exodus chapter 12, there are instructions Moses gave for Passovers. <clears throat> I say Passovers, plural, because it, this, it's repeated again in Deuteronomy 16 about certain these rules that have to be, so it's even after the Exodus, he says, okay, now in the future, you do certain things the same way. So in Exodus 12, <clears throat> read this real quick, if you don't mind, this is, Exodus, this is uh, the first 20, 28 verses or so. You have us to Moses and Aaron in the days of Egypt saying, this month should be for you the beginning of the months. It should be for you the first month of the year. Speak the entire assembly of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, they shall take for themselves each man a lamb or a kid for each father's house, a lamb or a kid for the household. The house will be too small for a lamb or a kid, that he shall 
he and his neighbor who is nearest to his house shall take according to the number of people. Everyone according to what he eats shall be counted for the lamb or the kid. An unblemished lamb or kid or male with its first year shall be for you. Then the sheep or goats you take it. It shall be uh, for your examination until the 14th day of the month. The entire congregation of the children of Israel shall slaughter it in the twilight. They shall take some of its blood and place it on the two doorposts, the lintel of the houses, which they will eat it. They will eat the flesh that night, rose or fire, matz- with matzot and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. You shall not eat it partially roasted or cooked in water, only roasted over fire. Its head, its legs, its innards, you shall not leave any of it until morning. Any that's left until morning, you shall burn in the fire. You shall eat, you, so then shall you eat it. Your loins will be girded, your shoes and your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it, eat it in haste. It's a Pesach offering to Jehovah. I shall go through the land of Egypt in this night, and I shall strike every firstborn led to Egypt from man to beast. Against all the gods of Egypt, I shall, make, I shall meet out a punishment. I am Jehovah. The blood on the doorpost should be a sign for you on your houses where you are. When I shall see the blood, I shall pass over you, and there shall not be a plague of destruction upon you when I strike in the land of Egypt. This day shall become a remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival for Jehovah throughout your generations. As an eternal decree, shall you celebrate it. For a seven-day period, you shall eat matzot, but on the previous day, you shall, un- you shall eliminate the bread from your homes. The leaven from your homes. For anyone who eats leaven, uh, leavened food, that still should be cut off from Israel from the first day to the seventh day. On the first day should be a holy convocation. Seventh day should be a holy convocation. You'll work on it, except for what must be eaten for a person. You'll safeguard the matzot for this day, for I will take in your legions out of the land of Egypt. You shall observe this day for your generations as the eternal decree. In the first month of the 14th day of the month, in the evening, shall you eat matzot until the 21st day of the month in the evening. For seven days, leaven may not be found in your houses. Anyone who eats leaven, this will be cut off from his people. Whether for converse native land, you shall not eat any leavening in all your dwellings, and all you, you shall eat matzot. Moses called the elders of Israel, said to them, Draw forth or buy for yourselves of one of the flock for your families, slaughter the Pesach offering. You shall take a bundle of hyssop, dip in the blood that is on the basin, touch the lintel of the two doorposts with some of the blood they use it in the basin. As for you, no man shall leave his entrance to his house until morning. Yehovah will pass through and spite the Egypt. He will see the blood that is on the lintel doorposts, and Yehovah will pass over the entrance, and he shall not permit the destroyer to enter your home to smite you. You shall observe this matter as a decree for yourself and throughout your children's generations forever. It should be that when you come to the land of e- uh, land that Yehovah will give to you, as you've spoken, you shall observe this service. It should be that when your children say to you, what is this service? You should say it is a Pesach feast offering to Yehovah, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians. But he saved the Hauer households, and people bowed their heads to Moses and prostrated themselves. So Israel went and did as Jehovah commanded Moses and Aaron, so that did they do. That, of course, was the first command that Moses gave to Moses, uh, sorry, gave to the Israelites regarding the Pesach offering and, and how to do it. So there are certain elements there that are still done today. Some are not, obviously. We don't, we don't uh, uh, put our staff on our hands for symbolic reasons. Some people do. But as far as we're not, try, we're not fleeing uh, the nation we're in, per se. Um, nor do we actually set aside you know, lambs in that, that, that capacity. But the point is, uh, certain things are done, it's done forever throughout your generation, so year after year after year. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter if you're in the land or out of the land. The point is, it's wherever you live, you will continue to do this. So even if you lived in some other country, it makes a difference. The rules don't change. 
Um, we're going to jump down to verse 42. Um, this is a night of anticipation for Yehovah to take them out of the land of Egypt. This is the night for Yehovah of protection for all the children of Israel for the generations. He said to Moses and Aaron, this decree is the Pesach offering. No alien person may eat from it. Every slave of a man who was bought for money, you should circumcise him, then he may eat of it. A sojourner, a hired laborer, may not eat it. In one house shall it be eaten. You shall not remove any of the meat from the house to the outside. You shall not break a bone in it. The entire assembly of Israel shall perform it. When a proselyte, which is someone who's a convert, sojourns among you, he shall make the Pesach offering for Jehovah. Each of his males shall be circumcised, and then he may draw near to perform it. He shall be like the native of the land. No uncircumcised male may eat of it. There's one law shall there be for the native and the proselyte who lives among you. All just Israel did as Jehovah commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they do. So we also have the Pesach offering. If you are a follower of God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, guess what? That categorizes you into a, a, a proselyte. And so it, you say one law applies to all. It doesn't matter uh, where your, what your mom and daddy were. It matters of what God you are choosing to follow. So this is repeated in a different fashion in Leviticus 23. We're not going to go there right now. It says more specifically and narrows down the time period uh, as far as in Deuteronomy in particular, as far as when the offering is done. Deuteronomy 16 covers this topic, the first seven verses of Deuteronomy 16. Uh, but this, I'm just going through this so you are aware of why we're doing it real quick. We'll, we'll cover it in great detail at, uh, at the Pesach in a couple hours from now. But this is just a, a quick quick rundown. So Deuteronomy 16 discusses the same thing uh, in, a, in a shortened, condensed version. Starting verse 1 says, You shall observe the month of the, the springtime, which is now or uh, month of Eve, for the Pesach offering for Yehovah your God, for the month of springtime, Yehovah your God took you out of the land of Egypt at night. You shall slaughter the Pesach offering to Yehovah your God from the flock and, or from, and, and also offer in the place where he chooses to put his name. You shall not eat leavened bread with it. For seven days you shall eat matzot because of it and bread of affliction. For you departed from the land of Egypt in haste. You remember the day of your departure from the land of Egypt all the days of your life. No leaven of yours shall be seen throughout your boundary for seven days. Nor shall any of the flesh that you slaughter in the afternoon before, before the first day remain over until morning. You may not slaughter the Pesach offering in one of your cities that Yehovah your gives you, except the place where Yehovah your God will choose to rest his name. They shall slaughter the Pesach offering in the afternoon when the sun descends the appointed time of your departure from Egypt. <clears throat> you shall roast it in fire and eat it in the place that, that your God has chosen. In the morning, you may turn your back and go back to your tents. Then for a six-day period, you'll eat matzot and the seventh day should be an assembly. So it tells you more specifically narrows down the, the, the Passover, the Pesach offering is supposed to be done in the evening at the time the sun's going down. Those of you who, who, who've noticed that uh, the sun goes down, it takes a little time for it to go down. <laughs> so uh, more specifically, the Passover, it was, it was designed to be when the sun ball first reaches the horizon as going down, that is, not coming up, but going down. That was supposed to be the time period which the Passover animal was supposed to be killed and, of course, started cooking it. And then by the time the sun is down over the horizon, it's like you know, 20 minutes, whatever, half hour, exactly the timing, how long that takes, uh, theoretically, it would be ready for, for, for the Passover meal to, to begin, which that's really fast cook time. But maybe they had a really hot oven. I don't know. Anyway, so that's the time cycle, which is normally done. We're doing ours at 5 o'clock this afternoon. It will probably end sometime around 8 to 8.30, give or take. Uh, so we'll be going through into sunset 
that's hence, hence why Passover is done in the evening. We choose not to run ours late to midnight. But no matter what happens, wherever you are in your lives, the rule is Passover must end by midnight, which means you can talk all you want. When the clock strikes midnight, you're done. <laughs> you're no longer a Passover. It's over. Uh, you're now the first day of unleavened bread, which is a whole new holy day. So Passover is an evening. It is, it is a time a time stamp. Um, much like, as I mentioned before, the, the Shalom offering lasts for the day. You have one day to, to, to consume it, and then it's, it, it's null and void afterward. Pa- I'm not saying Passover is null and void. The point is, it's supposed to lie for an evening, and then when the evening's over, it's, it moves on. You move on, because Passover is not the, the holy day isn't called Passover, per se. It's, Passover is just an evening. The whole holy day time period is days of unleavened bread. Um, most of you will know, obviously, our Messiah did the same, did a similar type of version of Passover. Granted, he was, was obviously heavily symbolic and, and, and condensed. Um, it's recorded. I'm not going to go through all the verses because it's excessive. Uh, it's recorded in uh, all the four Gospels. And of course, obviously referenced again later on in Corinthians. Corinthians. We discussed it again. An example of such as far as what's done and, and, and what's covered. It's in. Uh, it, it, people have gone back and forth about, well, is it truly a Passover, Seder service kind of thing? It, reality is the text cites Passover as an example, cites some of bread as an example, so it's designed to be symbolic around those things. You can read it as you wish. It's Matthew 26, and of course, in Mark 14, Luke 22. Um, I'm going to go through all these. That, that it's, they, They're somewhat repetitive, but bottom line, the majority of them all say the same, same basic thing. He goes to a Passover, some, some version of a Seder service. We can argue what it, what it contained, what it didn't contain. It, he, he doesn't go through every symbol like we normally do in, in our modern day versions, but he narrows down, okay, during this time period, we're keeping our Passover Seder service, and then he narrows down and then zooms in on basically two to three symbols only. So he narrows down, okay, regardless of the bitter herbs, regardless of the lamb, we're not discussing those two topics, we're not discussing uh, 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 what wine, how many wine glasses you may drink or not drink. He narrows down, okay, ignore all that stuff, we're talking about just the bread component, the matzo component, and the, 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 the symbol of the wine itself. And just narrows on those two symbols alone, representative, of course, his flesh and blood, as far as in, in the Passover Seder service. So he, 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 he doesn't change the item. He just gives it a meaning as far as depth to that symbol, the, 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 the unleavened bread and, of course, the, the wine. He gets it to the symbol and obviously adds in John the whole washing of feet process. So some of you I know washed your feet last night. Some of you are washing them tonight. Some are washing it tomorrow night uh, in their pa- Passover service. Um, in our state of service, if I wasn't doing it on Zoom, uh, it, we were just doing our own household, we would wash our feet immediately following dinner. But because we're doing it on Zoom tonight, for those of you who will be participating, uh, our, out of respect for you and the timing, we will push, we'll rearrange ours to put it after everybody has signed off. We'll wash our feet as a family and, and, and our guests and such. That's what we do. Uh, you may have chosen to do it earlier or you may choose to do it tomorrow. So there, there's different things going on in Passover. Any questions about the coming things for Passover and what's happening about it for this evening? Because I'm not going to, I don't tend to go back to the Torah portion today. There is one thing I should point out to you, though, which I forgot to mention earlier. Um, the washing of feet that John in John 13, the Messiah does, and his explanation for it. Um, you will note that it is, uh, it is a symbol taken from, the, uh, from Moses and the priests 
and that when they come into temple service, when coming for the day, they're required to wash their feet before they continue on the process of, of the daily work they do. Um, so in, in symbolically speaking, the process of washing feet, I'm not saying Messiah did this to you and I. I'm saying he did it to his disciples. When he washed their feet, he said he used an example, but at the same time, he's using a symbol that is reserved for the priesthood. So in a matter of speaking, he's actually treating his apostles, disciples, as priests, not as the high priest, but as fellow priests. Um, in, in a manner of speaking, he's using that symbol and reusing it in that capacity. And it's quite interesting to note that what he's doing, uh, because they eventually become like priests in their own right. Uh, so they actually do fulfill that symbolic symbolism that's thrown upon them by him. But it's a separate issue. Just bring it up to, to the washing of feet is, has more than just, okay, my feet are dirty, uh, or not all of me is clean. It's, it's also a symbol that you usually reserve for priests, priests alone. Uh, Larry, your hand was up earlier. I, sorry, I missed it. Uh, what did you want to say, sir? I, I was going to say, tomorrow is the beginning of the, of the um, Days of Unleavened Bread. Is that correct? So that, is that, that's a Sabbath, and that's why we, can, we celebrate that? Or we, yes. Does the that, Passover that, possibly run into that? Is this no, getting, no. So, I, I try not to confuse you. Um, it, it, it can get complicated because there's there's debate. There's different opinions on uh, uh, on on scheduling of timing as far as the calendar stuff. There's also different opinions based on Messiah's actions. So some opinions place uh, Passover according to uh, the current rabbinic calendar, which will be landing on tonight. Some opinions think believe it as an observed thing, which will be tomorrow night. Their Passover just starts one day later. And some opinions use, besides example, believing Passover started last night uh, as one day earlier. So there are different opinions. I'm not going to say your opinion's right or wrong, or your opinion's right or wrong. Uh, just let you know what me as what my family does is we treat Passover as uh, as we have to be you following the the the, the Brunic calendar right now. Um, we, we didn't used to, we do now. And uh, we're using Passover uh, for this evening, which, of course, in our Passover, because we're Messianic, we happen to use the washing of feet as part of our Passover service, a Seder service, though not everybody chooses to do so. It's not not commanding you or not a requirement for you to participate. But if you're in my household, actually, yeah, for those of you who are guests in my household, um, yeah, that's what we do. (laughs) Wear clean socks. So that's what we're doing. So anyway, that, 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 that's, that was the point. It's not, it, it is not to say that Passover is multiple nights. It's one night. It's just that different groups have their different opinions as to when that one night occurs. Whether it was last night, tonight, tomorrow night. I don't think there's anybody doing it Monday night. I could be wrong. Yes, Jeff. One of the things that's caused so much confusion is by the time of the first century, the whole festival of Matzot was called Passover. <laughs> it got really confusing. So, <laughs> yes. So that's, that's why a lot of people get confused about the gospel accounts is because pretty much, you know, from the whole thing is, 14th yeah. day on through the 21st day was called Passover. Passover. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's just a massive long thing, which is, it's confusing. The Torah doesn't, doesn't word it that way, but he, people are people and, we are what we are. We tend to be lazy and we kind of just mesh things together because it's easier for us. Well, I mean, when you consider that Passover blends right into the first day of unleavened bread, yeah, it, it's it, understandable. It, it, totally, totally. Yeah. It, it's like, it's, it's like Shimon and Sarah being attached to Sukkot. They kind of they just shove them all together. It's just kind of shoved together as one thing, even though it's actually technically the eighth day. It's a separate holy day, but it doesn't really matter. People just throw it all as one. 
And it's just it's how it's how people are. And it, it, Does, it is uh, Shay have her hand up over there? Oh, I don't know. I wasn't looking. Oh, yes, yes, your hand is up. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to find the right spot. It's a small little hand in in, in my window, right there. <laughs> Go ahead. Just so um, when Jesus said, um, "Drink this cup and and, and uh, eat my flesh," as do this in remembrance of me. This was when he was celebrating Passover with the um, disciples, which he did early. It looks like right. Yep. Okay. Obviously, he wasn't. He was on in the tomb when right. everybody else was eating it. Right. Okay. So, so then when he said that, does that mean that we only need to drink the cup and eat the bread um, every Passover, or do we do it every Lord's Day, which was okay? Uh, yeah. That's a, that's a fair question, and 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 different uh, uh, Christian sects have their different opinions on it. So mm-hmm. all I can give you is what the Torah commands. And then you make your own decision on that. So first of all, regardless of what Messiah did, as far as you know, changing, not changing his symbol, change, yeah, he, he modified a symbol. He, the symbol still there was always there. He just explained it a little differently, a couple of symbols. He doesn't change the Torah. So Moses' command for Passover and how it is observed still stands. Right. Uh, because nobody gets to change it except God himself. And I'm not, not to go into theology, um, I'm referring to God, the Father, the creator of all things coming down and the one who talked to Moses. He's the one who changed stuff. But he's the one who said, I don't change. So I'm not inclined to think he's going to change things, but he completely said, I don't change. So Passover is a fixed thing. It doesn't change from generation to generation, year to year to year. It's always the same. So you, you may add or, or modify uh, 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 symbols in it, but the Passover itself is the same. It must be eaten with bitter herbs, which Messiah didn't talk about bitter herbs during his day, uh, during his Passover. He didn't discuss it, but that's Moses' command. Pass with bitter herbs and flatbread. Note, you will see that there is no wine listed from Moses. Okay. Moses didn't say, Thou shalt have wine. None of the sort. Uh, Messiah, however, did have wine at his. So somewhere along the way, wine was added into the Passover Seder service. I don't know when, but somewhere along the way it was. Uh, and, and it wasn't God, Messiah didn't say, oh, Sacrilege, you added what? No, he got the opposite. Yeah, here, have a glass. <laughs> he had an issue with it. So, so he pours up. Uh, so, so there's, there's, uh, so adding to it in that capacity doesn't seem like he, it was a problem, but the act of not observing it, that is not, uh, you're, that's going against the Torah's instructions. It isn't like I'm going to, you know, forgo it and only do Messiah's, uh, flatbread and wine component because you have to include Moses' instruction, which you got from God himself. Uh, you have to have bitter herbs attached to it somewhere as well as, some form of explanation because Moses said, when your children ask, you must explain this service to them, what you're doing. So not only is it the flatbread, uh, Moses commanded from flock. So you have to some lamb or goat or something like that. Or we can, I'm not going to win that debate. That's a, that's a lengthy one for a modern day. Um, so flatbread is for certain bitter herbs for certain. Um, and then, uh, 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 the, some, the, supposed to be the, the lamb or a goat of some form, and then the explanation. So you have to have at least those minimum components in order to classify as I observed Passover according to Moses' instructions. All right, that's a given. Now, if you wish to add to it or alter symbolism, not a problem. Moses say, "Thou shalt not add wine," or "Thou shalt not explain better than I did." <laughs> That's perfectly acceptable. You can explain better than, Mo- than Moses did, and of course, Messiah does so. So, altering that phase is, is is fine on Passover. 
Now, when it comes to Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper, unlike which I have always thought as a child, supper means a whole meal. It does not. <laughs> uh, the, the old term supper meant if you ate anything, <laughs> anything, even a cracker, that's a supper. It, it seems like a, a silly thing, but so the Lord's Supper, as it is taught, as is titled, just means some piece of flatbread and some piece of some amount of small amount of wine. It that's all it is. You can have it as frequently as you desire or as infrequently as you desire. Those are independent. It's however often you you choose to eat a flat piece of flatbread and 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 a little bit of wine, or obviously you can use grape juice if you so choose. So those are those are those are components which you can do. Outside of or independent of Passover, you may do them as frequently as you want. That's your business. Uh, Messiah didn't give those symbols until Passover. So he implied by that doing so, he implies they're, they're supposed to be tied together, uh, which makes total logical sense. They should be tied together in many ways as far as what the symbolism is of how it's supposed to work and the timing of his death. It makes sense they're designed to be tied to Passover. And they are symbols that were are with inside the Seder service already. So it makes sense they're supposed to be tied together. But whether or not someone chooses to do them separately, like every day of the week or every month or once a year or whatever, however often, that's they can do it again if they so choose. But to not don't pull it out of, don't don't try to divide it out of Passover as if Passover is over there and I'll just do this part. It doesn't work that way. Passover you're doing anyway. And this part you may do in it, which is implied as the context is by doing in it. But you also do this part of the, the bread and the wine separately as many times as you so see fit throughout the year. It's no different than if I have to take a bath. For example, I have a mikvah. Well, I take showers. But if I, I take a shower because I got dirty, I may get dirty periodically uh, for whatever reason. I may take a shower frequently. I don't take a shower once a year. So I can do it more frequently if I, if I so need or as, as needed basis. But in the case of the, the the flatbread and the wine, you could do it more freely if, as as in base or as a, as a as a as a as a desire or as a purpose for your community or your family. But you it, to be tied to Passover is still its own entity, its own thing. Does that make sense? Hopefully, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense that I, I'm just trying to discern peace. Obviously, he only spoke what he heard the Father saying. So whatever he's saying is the will. Of- the will of the Father, because he never said anything apart from that. Mm-hmm. So when he said, drink this cup and eat this bread, do this, in re- when, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. The first and foremost place he's thinking of is Passover. Right. But tr- traditionally, uh, uh, obviously, it's being done more frequently than that. We do it at, at Hillel every Shabbat. Mm-hmm. So that's not, obviously, Jesus wouldn't say something that was going to add to the Torah. It's right. not going right. to add it to the Torah. But in a sense that, so that, that is something new though. Is that because if he said, this is the new covenant? No. So, okay. So, yeah. So I just doing it as a memorial. So it's no different than like you did it for, he, there, there's other things that happen in the Bible that are not part of the Torah that we still do. We call them Purim, for example, or Hanukkah. There are other members of, of, of major events we don't forget. Yes, Jeff. Uh, Shay, something that might be helpful with this is that you know, going into this, the Messiah said, um, go to this room, find this person, prepare the Passover. So the, the, um, the apostles were going into this thinking, okay, this is related to Passover. So his saying, do this in remembrance of me is in, in so many other words saying, 
this is what Passover meant. About, this yeah. is what Passover means going forward. This is all in, incorporated into what Passover. There, are, some people are tried to divide, and the um, the body of Messiah has done a good job of that over time of dividing out this thing called the Lord's Supper from Passover so that it means something different. I mean, there's something that's recorded in scripture called the agape feast. Those were something done on a regular basis. And they're the regular practice we do each Shabbat of um, uh, Kiddush. That's not tied to Passover. That's something that is a, what you call a fellowship meal. uh, Right. And what came into Christian tradition as the love feast, the agape feast sort of thing. But when, you know, you're, you're here, the Messiah saying, you know, do this and remember to me, what do Passover in remembrance of me, I am tied to the Passover. That's why, you know, um, Yochanan or John the Baptist said, you know, behold the lamb of God tying that specifically. You see it in the book of revelation, you know, the lamb was slayed from the foundation of the world you know that lamb connected with the messiah on this so this is what is referred to with the um what is talked about with the the cup and the bread etc cetera, etc cetera, through this so that is one of the the things that's that's helpful in uh when we talk to our brothers and sisters in the greater body of messiah to you know explain that you know it's it's wonderful that you're wanting to you know uh, have a have a connection with you know with the lord and you know follow his example on this but he was pointing everything back to the the foundations the the cycles of what we're talking about before so thus you know when you have this explanation from the apostle paul about what the passover is was supposed to be related to that was all supposed to be tied back to what the um, was put in place before so that this thing called the new covenant was talked about in the prophets tied back to the original torah on this so this is all a part of the things that were instituted earlier this is simply what it means okay Thank you. In, in the context of, I uh, mentioned earlier about as far as our bread and wine, we do. Um, our bread and wine is not classified; it's not grouped into uh, the the symbolism that Messiah gave. Um, uh, we, as far as the fruit of the vine, you know, things that we do, the prayer, the prayers are stated because, for one, uh, you will note the bread we use is usually leavened bread, and uh, that's would be prohibited uh, in the Lord's Supper category. You couldn't use leavened bread for that. So we use leavened bread for, we use challah bread. It's more of a Jewish tradition to use, uh, which comes, ties a little bit closer to a few things, a few things, not many, written in the prophets and the, and the Torah versus Messiah's example. Um, that is, 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 it's a good point to note they're, they're not actually tied per se. It is more yeah. of a tradition as opposed to a command in that way. Yeah, it adds confusion because the Catholic Church decided to use unleavened bread rather than leavened bread, which the traditional um, Sunday Lord's Supper used leavened bread. Right. Um, which you still see in Eastern Orthodox churches. You'll see, if you go to an Eastern Orthodox church on a Sunday, they'll do their Eucharist and it's leavened bread. Right. 
and it's made right. fresh every week and blah, blah, blah. But it's definitely leavened bread. But you go to a Catholic church and it's an unleavened wafer, which is an innovation they put in much later, which kind of adds confusion to um, what the point of it actually is. The, um, in a lot of ways, the, um, the Eastern Orthodox Eucharist is probably more closely tied to the agape feast than it is to the Passover because it's yeah. done every week. Not done just once a year. That uh, that process. I, I don't remember when the Catholic Church did it, but I know during uh, the so-called. I don't know what the guy's real name is, but the guy who later became you know, Saint Patrick uh, in Ireland. Um, that was one of the tools he used to try to convince the Celtic Druids about uh, about God. As he would he would invite them to a bread like actual like leavened bread, bread and wine service that he would do as one of his outreach programs. <laughs> which he attempted to do. Uh, it, 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 it was commonly done. It was a tool that was useful in that capacity. Um, and that's what it was designed to be. He did it as frequently as he, as he could invite another Celtic Druid in, in his house or in wherever he went to in order to convince them that you know, their pagan ways are actually corrupt. It was just, hey, come over for a meal. We'll have, we'll have a chit-chat over, over some bread and wine. Discuss this. And that was just his, one, of his, one of his primary tools. That was designed to be. At least, I, I, that's what it is. It has, and it has actually turned out to be. Those of you who ever been to a a Jewish synagogue um, on a Friday night, they still use that as it's a type of outreach. It's actually an enjoyable thing that people like to participate in. It's still very effective. Hasn't changed. Um, it, but it, it is not a commanded uh, 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 tool per se in in, in a Torah uh, in the Torah realm. Anyway, any other comments about this? Just really quickly, um, next week, because I don't want to blend to it this week, but maybe you could give a short explanation of how, how um, we do it at Halal and why, because I don't really fully know. Oh, oh for, for, for the, the bread and wine we do? Yeah, because yeah, I'm making assumptions based on my past knowledge, and that's not right. really correct. No, it's, yeah, there's other reasons, uh, which, we, yeah, we've discussed this in the past a, few, a number of years ago. Um, we, can re, we can re-discuss it again. It's not a problem. We'll, we'll, we'll give... It's like, a, it's like a it's like a ten minute explanation. It doesn't take long, but it, it's I don't want to spend the time today to do it because no, I don't have the scriptures off the top of my head memorized. I have to go look it up again. I've forgotten them. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a few years. My memory's Actually, not that good. yeah, one of the the earliest uh, um, recording places of that is from Genesis fourteen eighteen, oh, right. when um, Abraham. you know. Uh, it says, you know, Mel- um, Melchizedek, you know, Salem brought out bread and wine. Now he was priest of the Most High. So basically, you had this idea of a greeting between heaven and earth and involving this bread and wine. So that's kind of the one of the first examples of that. Yeah. Okay. Any comments or questions? Otherwise, we're going to call this call it quits because we got to. I've got to take me an hour or so, hour and a half, to set up our household, and my kids are still working decorations um, for for Passover in, in a couple hours from now. So, uh, any comments or questions regarding this Torah portion? It's not on the Torah portion, but can I get the website or that phone number so that I can call in for tonight, if, or is it the same one? Yeah, it's the same one. Same one, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're going to use the um, halal.info slash video services for the past. Yeah, the same, same phone number. Same, same, same phone, phone number, number same website, all that. Yep, all to be the same. Okay. We try to keep well, it Good, because old people have a hard time with stuff. <laughs> is yep. the proper greeting Hogsameach, or is there another one? Yes, Hogsameach, happy circle, happy high day, happy, happy, yeah, Hogsameach, because happy holiday, happy, happy high day. 
And also hug some out. Oh, yeah, you can hug them too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You like hugs. <laughs> Real ones of those are really nice. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Hopefully we get in person eventually. Okay. All right, so uh, we're going to close, close with, a, with, a, with a prayer then, all right? Almighty God, yeah, okay. thank you. Thank you for our Shabbat day of rest and also our preparations for Passover, Father, for the kindness you showed each one of our family members and our loved ones throughout your world, Father, the one you created, the people who are in it. May you bless us all, Father, as we pursue your way to strive to follow you. May you bless us, Father, as our, as our Passover comes up, that each of our households will be enlightened and filled with your spirit and your strength, your wisdom, your understanding, the, the sharing of the great things you've given to each of us to share. We glorify you, Father, and we thank you. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info.